Back to the beat. Bulls beat continues with Derek Sharp. Thanks for dropping by the podcast page. I know that we said on the stream Monday that we'd be able to put this up before the baseball game broadcast on Monday afternoon. Unfortunately, there was way too much pregame baseball noise going on in the background. So hopefully you uh, found other things to do besides listen to this on a Monday afternoon. And we're giving it to you here on a Tuesday morning, wherever you're listening to it, whenever you're listening to it. We are going to give you some of the things that happened over the weekend, including some of the highlights from the women's basketball game. It didn't go as well for Jose Fernandez's team against Florida Atlantic as it did for the men. With Jose Fernandez not actually at the game, we'll tell you all about that and where the Bulls sit in the standings. Both basketball teams on the road on Wednesday night. We'll give you a full preview on Wednesday's show, but we'll go ahead and tell you here that, remember, we have the Strike 102.5 HD2 ready to roll anytime both teams are playing at the same time, and that will be the case on Wednesday night. So the women at East Carolina will be on the strike with men against UTSA on Bulls Unlimited. We'll also give you a weekend recap from tennis. Unfortunately, a couple of very dramatic close defeats for both the men and the women that will sum up for you. We'll also give you what happened with softball and baseball over the weekend. Again, they were supposed to play a full weekend, and it got trimmed. In fact, completely trimmed for the men's team. We'll tell you what happened in their game on Friday night against UConn, and we'll save the recap of Monday's 5 nothing loss to Indiana State for Wednesday's Bulls beat. And we're going to start off with what men's golf did, which was start off the spring in fine fashion, third place in Gainesville. And yes, they did get a full 54 holes in because they moved everything up to Saturday. This was already going to be over on Saturday, but they had to play through a little bit of rain, obviously, at the Mark Bostic Golf Course. Steve Bradley's team finished technically third. Now, if you look at the leaderboard, the Florida Gators won. Oh, did they win at 26 under par for three rounds. Four under was their worst round, as it was for a lot of teams because of the weather conditions on Saturday. The second-place team on the leaderboard was Florida's B team. I think the Gators know the course pretty well there in Gainesville because even though the B team doesn't count towards your team score officially for college golf rankings and all that kind of stuff, yeah, it was Florida A, the quote-unquote top team, 26 under. The second group of Gators, 23 under. And then it dropped to North Florida at 13 under, and no one else was under par. But because the Bulls were that one over par team, they, again with the Florida B team score not really counting, officially finished third place out of 15 teams, and that is going to help their ranking. There were several teams in and around them in the national rankings coming into this one. The Bulls were in the top 40, and that will likely not change. UNF was the only team besides Florida actually ranked ahead of the Bulls, so it all sort of played out according to ranking, and that's okay. You want to hold your position, if not improve it. Actually, the Ospreys had the top two finishers in this event. Nick Brelchik, who is from Mitchell High School. Remember that third round where everyone was struggling? Not him. 64 at 6 under par, 13 under to beat his teammate, Andrew Riley, at 12 under par. Jake Peacock paced the Bulls, tied for 6 at 5 under, Shot a 3-under 67 for his best round in his first round. Then two Bulls tied for 21st. Sam Nicholson along with Brock Healy both at one over par for the event. And then the fourth and fifth golfers alternated having their scores count. Cooper Smith 71 in the first round. Shubi Jaglan 70 in the second round. And then Cooper's 73 on the final day where the Bulls shot three over par. And FAU, which was ahead of them entering the day, 
ballooned to 11 over par. It allowed the Bulls to surge into third. The only team that was around them was Furman, and Furman was solid but had too much ground to make up against the Bulls. After FAU and Furman, again, the Bulls were one over. Those schools were five over, then it dropped down seven more shots to seventh place UCF, which was way back in the rearview mirror. Other schools of note, Kentucky, West Virginia, FGCU, which is just outside the top 50, Nebraska, Penn State at this event. And again, Steve Bradley's Bulls were right there near the top of the leaderboard at one over par in third place. Now on to softball, and unfortunately with the rain that covered the state all weekend long, the Bulls did not get any weekend action in, unless you count Friday night, of course, which does start a lot of people's weekends, and it did for the Bulls, almost making it five in a row. Remember, they beat Kansas on Monday, then they took care of, as we chronicled on Friday's show on an emotional day, UIC and then Boston College. Well, they played Boston College again on Friday afternoon, and Remember how in that game the Bulls had taken the lead, but very nearly gave it right back in the top of the sixth inning. BC had bases loaded and one out. That incident took place earlier in this game in the second inning, but like the first meeting, BC scored first, and the Bulls had an answer. The Eagles, Hannah Slyke, who's a great hitter, hit a home run off of Bell Sargent in the top half, but then in the bottom half, the Bulls chop away at Abby Dunning. Again, the pitcher who threw more than 200 total pitches the day before was right back out there in the circle against the Bulls, and I think it helped their cause. Alexa Galigani started things off with a single. Then you actually had a throwing error on a bunt attempt to first base by Dunning. Then you had a pass ball, and Marissa Tribal piece tied it up with the single, and then Alana Rivera laid down a great sack bunt with runners on first and third and one out. Then BC looked ready to answer right back. In the top of the second, a double and a single had runners on second and third. A little infield chopper loaded up the bases with one out. But again, things worked out. A ground ball to the shortstop, Kathy Garcia Soto, easy force at home. And then the very next play, a ground out, and the Bulls were able to hang on to the lead, which they built with two runs in the third and four more in the fourth as the offense started to really get going. Another throwing error by their pitcher, Dunning, helped things move along in the third inning. Rivera also had a nice single up the middle. Josie Foreman, RBI single, followed by Adania Brooks. RBI ground out her first rib as a bull. Then in the fourth inning, it was piecing things together nicely. A walk, a Galagani double, another walk to load the bases. Dunning walked five in this game, and her errors essentially made seven of the eight runs she gave up unearned while throwing 115 pitches and then three straight fielders choices basically ground balls that brought in runners you think Ken Erickson loves that you'd be right they scored four runs on one hit in the inning and then tacked on an RBI single from Marissa tribal piece in the fifth great to see her by the way start to get the hits going coming into Thursday basically she just had one hit now Give her four, despite some early wobbles and giving up nine hits, Bell Sarja only needed 91 pitches. Now, she was pulled before the last out, but that is a solid third win for the junior college transfer. Foreman drove in three in the game with just one hit. Again, the beauty of the fielder's choice. Tribal piece, two hits, two RBI. Alana Rivera, two RBI. And Alexa Galagani, two hits and two runs. Also, Jamia Nelson, another freshman, got her first career hit. It was a feel-good 9-2 victory. 
and it was ready to be another feel-good victory. Unfortunately, Purdue decided to spoil things with the comeback in the final inning. This was towards the end of the day Friday. The Boilermakers win it by the score of 4-3. to three. Pretty good Friday for Purdue, which came to town 3-2 and two and only played two games, beat UIC earlier in the day 2-0, and only got in their two games. Their only two losses, by the way, are to top 10 Georgia. Bulls took the lead in the bottom of the first on a two-out walk by Tribal Peace and Bailey Drapola. An RBI double. Purdue, though, would get the lead 2-1 to one against Peyton Dixon in the top of the third. Two RBI single after a couple of bunts and a walk. Bulls would get it back with two in the bottom of the fourth. This time it was an RBI double from Alan Rivera following Drapola's leadoff double. Ryan Eigeman had a sack fly RBI. Peyton Dixon was relieved by Julia Postolaco. She got a 1-2-3 fifth inning. Bulls stranded a leadoff double in the fifth. That could have come in handy, but they go down again in order in the sixth. And here comes Sarge to pitch for Apostolakos, who threw two shutout innings, and it didn't work out. Purdue led off with a double, then a stolen base with the tying run sitting there on third. A full count walk really helped things out, and Purdue took the lead. Like we told you earlier, the Bulls scored four runs with one hit. They did not need a hit after their leadoff double because actually caught a break. It was a deep fly to left, which Purdue certainly looked like was going to tie the game on, but the runner stayed at third base. But then a flare to right, dropped in the outfield, could have been a play at the plate, run scores easily anyway, and then a fly to relatively shallow center field, but it was deep enough to bring in the go-ahead run. Bulls did get a runner on base in the bottom of the seventh, but struck out losing to end the game. It's one of those endings that make you want to get back on the diamond the next day, and unfortunately they could not actually, they knew they weren't going to get back on the diamond Saturday because they went ahead and moved the scheduled rematch with Purdue to Sunday it was going to be Bulls against Hofstra and Purdue, but as you know, nothing was happening basically in the entire state of Florida except for maybe some patches down south as far as baseball or softball went on Sunday. And so the Bulls fortunately got those two games in, both victories on Thursday, and then split the games Friday. They're now 7-3. and three. Next up, two top 10 teams that made the College World Series on Thursday. We'll talk about that on the Wednesday. Bulls beat. Incidentally, with a lot of close losses, it was nice to see UIC grab its first victory. The Flames had lost to Hostra 1-0 in eight innings Friday morning and got shut out by Purdue, but they actually got in the one and only game Friday first thing and beat Hofstra 5-1. Of course, Hofstra, the one team that the Bulls did not get to see. They're getting to see plenty of teams, trust me. Baseball on Friday night, losing to UConn 2-1. What a great crowd, what a great event. Unfortunately, the Bulls didn't get a ton of chances to score, neither did UConn for that matter, as Hunter Mink was very solid in his five innings of work, followed by two each from his twin brother Tanner, along with Chandler Dorsey, as promised here on the podcast page, giving you some extended highlights, in this case, of all three pitchers. No dilly-dallying as a pitcher. It's one and two, and Hunter Mink's ready to deliver, pulls the string, and gets a first strikeout. And that is our first screaming with the light from Miss Nancy in the stands. All the familiar sounds of baseball, great to hear. And that's another off-speed pitch. Hunter Mink didn't even wait for the called strike three. He knew that he had the man rung up. So great start by Mink, who indeed gets the opening start for the Bulls. Tanner, 25 appearances all out of the pen. Right to him, they have the man in a rundown. Got to get rid of the ball, and they just barely got him. As Mink needed to get rid of that a lot sooner, 
give credit to Tamaro for making the quick decision to, instead of getting a rundown, just hightail it to second base, but he was out. So it'll go down as a fielder's choice, one to four, and a big out. Huskies have made it to the NCAA tournament five straight times. A dozen teams can say that, and they're one. And Tanner Mink doesn't care as he fills up the top of the zone with that curveball a minute. Swings and misses. So the Minks have a solid outing going on. Dorsey to Daniels again on one and two. And there's that fastball. Gets him swinging and missing. So really outstanding pitching by the Bulls the entire game. And they've been knocking on the door. Let's see if they can finally have the Huskies let them through it. Chandler Dorsey, the sophomore from Lakeland, and definitely a candidate along with Peyton Jula to be the back-end guys, even though the Bulls did not get a save situation. Yeah, mixing in the off-speed pitches this year, Dorsey. The Bulls, shy of a shutout, pitched extremely well, and in this case, UConn did scratch runs in the second and the third inning. The only wild inning for Mink, a walk and an HBP. Runner advances to third on a fly to right, and then the RBI single well done by the Huskies. Top of the third, two strikeouts, but then a 2-2 pitch hits another batter. A pickoff throw goes awry, but then the two-out RBI single to UConn's credit. Bulls just did not have that hit with runners in scoring position they needed this weekend. There was nobody on base when they did get a run, and it was pretty impressive. Unfortunately, it was the only run in their first two games, but I think we're going to see a lot of these this year. Second on the team in batting average. First in homers, obviously. Yeah, he did a little bit of everything and played a good second base as well. Two, three and two to him. Oh, man. I think he got all of that one. Deep to right field and over the scoreboard. He tried to hit himself, his image, in right field, but he overshot. We said that they might have this kid timed up. Uh, I'd say Bobby Bozer just timed up. Garrett Coe, it's two to one, Huskies. Golly, just golfing it the other way. And it is really cute that their right fielder, Jake Studley, made like he had a chance to catch that one. And you could just see it, their pitcher, Garrett Coe, tried to keep you off balance, tried to induce weak contact, not really a strikeout pitcher. Idea with him is to go at least five innings, but don't expect more than six, and that's exactly what he gave UConn. In fact, he was pulled in the sixth when it was guess who's time to come up to bat. That would be Bobby Bozer. UConn's Thomas Ellison was solid, and apparently their new closer, Brady Atham, was as well. He struck out the side in the ninth. But with two outs in the bottom of the eighth, and this was the story of the game, okay, there weren't a lot of chances to score, but the Bulls on three occasions outside of the Bozer one that actually went over the wall thought they had a home run, and on this case, so did Ellison, the pitcher. I put it out on social media Friday night, and you'll hear me allude to it on the call here. He throws his arms up like he thought he had just given up the lead with two outs in the bottom of the eighth. Runner is going. Oh, that ball is smashed. Deep to right field. It's got a chance, but it's going to die, and the runner is, well, there were two outs, so the runner was going anyway. So I said a lot of deep outs for the Bulls. Add that one to the list. That one was caught before the track, but was probably hit deeper than the other two long flies by Brutcher and Rose. It has been that kind of night thus far. What a swing by Betancourt. And if you watch the replay, the pitcher throws his arms up like crap. 
that's how lucky they just were. So the Bulls lose 2-1 to one to the Huskies, but the pitching was great, and so was the defense. You've got to hear some of these plays that were made. And drives it up the middle. This could be stopped. It is by Bozo. That's a long throw, and he gets him. Runner from first advances to second, but to get anything there, you will take. And Bobby Bozer showing some serious range. Of course, you had to catch a running, so you always had a chance, but that still did not make it an easy play. Solid line drive hitter. Oh, and he hits a line drive right to the first baseman. The runner was off, and that is a massive break. I mean a massive break and a double play. Man, oh, man. That was a great play by Montez, who had nothing to do once he caught the ball, but just walk on over. He didn't even have to hurry. But man, oh man, the old line into double play three unassisted really helps the Bulls there because Daniels destroyed that baseball. Huskies 44 and 17 last year. They were 18 and four at their beautiful new home facility, by the way. Oh, that ball is hit. Tanner gets off his foot. This could be flipped to Snow for one. Over to first double play. The Taylor made one, four, six, three double play. You see it every day. Tanner Mink has had stuff come back to him. He didn't make that play, but Bozer with the flip to Snow, and that is a way to get out of an inning right there. Rolls it over to the right side. Oh, what a dive by Bozer, but from a knee, can he make the play? He does. Man, oh man, some sparkling defense from the Bulls tonight. We're talking at least three base hits that have been taken away, at least. Probably should weigh that against the near home runs for the Bulls, right? Because UConn's definitely feeling it should have gotten more than two. I think they'll get plenty of wins this year, and let's see if the Bulls can start to pick up the pace this weekend. And again, on Wednesday's show, we'll let you know what happened in the Monday afternoon tilt. Now, women's basketball. I said that things did not go well on Saturday night against FAU. This, frankly, was the most disappointing loss of the season. And you got to give the visiting Owls all the credit in the world because they were without their top two scores and still beat the Bulls. From the Bulls' perspective, that can't happen. From FAU's perspective, job well done. Anaya Hubbard, who is legitimately a great player but has only played in about half their games, averaging 19.5 points, just a really tough guard, and a great three-point shooter in Maya Perry, who had only missed one game this year, but she was out as well. She has 60 made threes, and yet the Bulls just could not pull away from Florida Atlantic. The Owls had two players in particular who hurt the Bulls. Jada Moore was averaging 10 points a game. The transfer from Kansas State kept driving the lane. She also dished off four assists, scored 22 points, a career high with 11 rebounds and those four assists. Now listen, we've told you plenty this year about players who haven't done much and then they show up against the Bulls and it's frustrating. But you got to remember, in this case, you're taking their top two scores who between them average around 32 points. It's not like that means FAU is going to, you know, only score 20 points. Some other folks are going to have to take up that slack. And it was Devin Scott in this case. But what was concerning, though, again, Devin Scott, who averages three points a game, scored 17, and she was able to drive to the hoop but also make three threes. They did not make a lot of threes. In fact, they were firing up some air balls, but Scott wasn't. She was three for three. Came into the game seven for 23, and it was just uncanny. Every time the Bulls, who lost the lead late in the first quarter, never even tied the game back up, but they had four chances in the third quarter, down one. And every time FAU scored on the next possession, finally midway through the fourth, FAU would 
miss, and the Bulls had two chances to tie it, tried two threes midway through the fourth quarter, missed them both, missed eight shots in a row, and from 56 to 53, neither team scored for the next three minutes. Obviously, plenty of chances for the Bulls to convert in there, and they didn't. In the end, FAU scored 11 straight points, misleading final score of 67-55, but the Bulls certainly did not play well enough to win. Now, Aveline Lutzeschipolt did. 20 points and 11 rebounds. Romy Levy, who was named to the AAC Weekly Honor Roll, had 21 points and 8 rebounds, although she was 3 for 12 on 3, so that shot was not falling for her. 9 for 25 from the floor. No one else outside of those two combined for 19 buckets made more than two. We'll discuss more about the Bulls situation on Wednesday's program, along with a full preview of the matchup with East Carolina and what has happened in the conference since we last left Saturday. There's been some pretty important results. The Bulls right now are in a three-way tie for eighth. We'll give you the full outlook on Wednesday's Bulls beat, and we also expect to have Coach Jose Fernandez back. He was unable to be at the game on Saturday night due to a personal matter, and we hope that he is good to go. Sure, he'll be eager to get back on the court, and we'll be in Greenville, North Carolina, for the call on Wednesday night. Hey, we said that softball lost on Friday night to Purdue 4-3. Unfortunately, that was the same score that befell both the men's and the women's tennis teams, and 4-3 to three in tennis is as close of a defeat as you can incur. Boy, Memphis is a solid team and came to the USF tennis courts on Friday afternoon before all the rain came. Memphis is now 8-3 after a hard-fought win against South Florida. The doubles point turned out to be critical. The top 20-ranked duo of Eric Velius and Alvin Todorica for South Florida lost 6-2 to a top 40 Memphis pairing, and then that meant the Bulls were going to have to win four of the singles matches. Todorica did win his 6-3-7-5. Basically, there were three matches that went to three sets, and the Bulls took two of them, but they were going to have to take all three. It came down to the number six singles court. Augustin Cuellar did win his first set in a tiebreaker, but lost 7-5-6-4. Tom Pisani on the five court. Gravelius in thrilling fashion on the two court because he had taken the second set in a tiebreaker were victorious, but because Memphis had easily won on the three and the four courts, again, the Bulls had to win all three three setters. So frankly, if you add it all up, the Tigers deserve that one. Still, the Bulls at five and four are looking very good this year. They will play Santa Clara and Troy this Saturday, the third doubleheader that the Bulls are having on the men's tennis side of things. The women, we told you, were going to be in Louisiana now, LSU, extremely difficult, and the Bulls dropped that one in Baton Rouge on Friday. Actually, were competitive in a couple of the singles matches. Ireland Simi lost her first set 6-4, and it was tied at 4-all in the second set when LSU clinched the fourth point, and they decided to stop play. And on the number five singles court, they were actually in a first set tiebreaker with Marta Falsetto Fawn. But that shows you how quickly the other matches had wrapped up. Then they went to City Park in New Orleans to play Tulane and another very, very close defeat. All of the doubles matches were close, but Tulane grabbed those points. And then really all the singles matches went straight sets with wins for the Bulls. Nadja Bay Christians at number two and Melissa Sunley at number three, along with Gargi Parwar at number five. But that meant that the Bulls were going to have to pull off. And again, it came down to a third setter for the deciding point. And Tulane's Cora Barber clinched it with a 6-1 third set 
victory against Falsetto Font. So the Bulls dropped to below 500, but they have played a very strong schedule. They are at 4-5. and five. And check this out. Taking on Auburn this weekend and Michigan State next Wednesday. We'll discuss more on tennis on Friday's show. But that'll wrap up this special prolonged version of Bulls Beat on the podcast page. Thanks for dropping by.